Hey, good evening. Hey. So like I said, my name is Jesse. Uh, I work for Orchard Hill Church. High five. So you guys did really high five. Sorry. Um, and uh, I lead the Waverly Campus for Orchard Hill Church. We have three different campuses, and I get to lead the Waverly Campus. I'll tell you, it is always just a privilege when I get to come and be with you. And um, I don't know why, but I'm, I'm sitting in the back because I was... I'm, I'll, I'll be honest, I was sort of in a mood tonight, um, and, uh, uh, but I'm sitting back there and just thinking about how incredible it is that you guys have this opportunity to come and be here, and um, I, for what it's worth, I almost got kicked out of college. Uh, I was president in student government at Mount Mercy College, and um, I had been written up five times in two weeks. I'm not like really proud of that, um, but they wrote me up so many times that by the time I got there, they're just like, what are you doing? <laughs> And uh, one more time, and I would have been kicked out my junior year, I think it was. And, um, and I think something like this would have helped me stay grounded. So for what that's worth, I don't know what all you guys are coming in with tonight, but for what that's worth, uh, God is doing incredible things here. And I'm looking around at the leaders, and I mean, God is just doing some incredible things, and I'm, I'm glad that you're here tonight. Not because of, um, just because I think it's cool to be a part of a community where, where Jesus is alive and active and working. I like to say Jesus is present here. And uh, I'm just, I'm happy for you guys. So thanks for letting me, excuse me, thanks for letting me be here uh, with you. Um, I've been told, I was thinking about this, I've been teaching for a few years, and I've been told uh, by many people that uh, a good teaching, a really good teaching, you want to come with one point and just hit that point home. You know, you want to like drive home that one point. Um, and that's what makes a really good teaching. So I want to tell you that tonight, I don't bring a really good teaching <laughs> because I don't come with one point. Um, we're going to cover a lot of ground in the book of James. We're going to cover a whole chapter, which for James is a lot. And I want to tell you that I don't want uh, my one point or whatever it is to hold you back. You're smart people. The Holy Spirit is working in your lives. And I just want to say, as we read tonight, like if God is speaking something to you, you've got these Bibles. I hope everybody here has a Bible. Like circle that and come back to that if God is speaking something um, to you specifically. Uh, regardless of what words might come out of my mouth, I just, I want you to pay attention to how the Holy Spirit is working um, in your life. So just for what that's worth. Um, so you're working through the book of James. One of the things that I like to do whenever I read a book of the Bible like this is to look for some sort of structure because uh, oftentimes you'll find that the authors in Scripture, it's not just what they say, but sometimes how they say it. It's not just what they say, but how they say it. So I always like to look for a structure and see what clues that might give me for how the book has been written. Again, not just what he's saying, but how he's saying it. And so one thing that I noticed in the book of James, when I'm reading the book of James, one thing that I notice is that he repeats this one phrase eight times throughout the book. He repeats this phrase, my brothers and sisters. It's Adelphoi mu in Greek. Because um, this was originally written in Greek. And so he, he, he repeats this eight times. And every time he does this, every time he repeats this, it seems like he's transitioning from one idea to another. And so he appears that he's using this, he's using this transition, my brothers and sisters, to transition from one idea to the other. And so I'm thinking about that. What does that mean? For tonight, the passage that I'm going to talk about is the longest span between two uh, my brothers and sisters passages. It goes from 312 
all the way to 512, or maybe 313 all the way to 512. So that's the longest span between any my brothers and sisters in the whole book of, book of James. And so it's, it's a long span. And what happens is uh, right at the, it starts in 313, it goes all the way to 512. And so what happens in 512, it's almost like a crescendo. What happens in 512, uh, uh, 512 is this. So if you guys open up, James chapter three is where we're gonna be. James chapter three is where we're gonna be. But I'll tell you this, uh, because what happens then in 512 is like a big crescendo. It builds up to this point. When, when James says in 512, he says, above all, Above all, I mean, when somebody says that, you pay attention, right? He says, above all, my brothers and sisters. So he's tying a bow on what he was just telling us, and he's going to move on to something else. He says, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by anything else. All you need to do is say a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Now, that's what it says in the NIV, and I actually... I'm not sure that I like that translation because what it actually says most literally is that otherwise, don't swear by anything else. Just let your yes be yes, your no be no. Otherwise, you will fall under judgment. Otherwise, you will fall under judgment. Don't swear by anything on earth, on earth or in heaven. Otherwise, you're gonna fall under judgment. Now, what's he talking about here? Now, when we swear by something, don't swear by anything on heaven and earth. When we swear by something, what we're doing is we're saying, like, as sure as this thing is, right? When we swear by something, we say, as sure as this is, I swear, as sure as this thing is, so am I. So it's saying something about what we're standing on. He's talking about having something to stand upon. As sure as this thing is, so am I. And James says, don't swear by anything. On heaven or earth, don't stand on anything. Otherwise, you're going to fall. Under judgment is what he's saying. It's about having a firm foundation. And he says, don't swear by anything in heaven or earth. Now think about this. The Bible opens up with the words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the question is, what James is tying together here, I think, the way I read this, is James is tying together, he's saying, the question is, are we building our lives? Is that foundation for us? Is it on heavens and the earth? Is it on the thing God created? Or are we building our life on the creator himself? Above all, above everything else that he just said, this is what James is saying, above all that I just told you, don't build your life on something that's gonna fall out from underneath of you. Build your life on, on God himself. You see, God wants us to have a firm foundation. God wants for us to have a firm foundation in our lives to be able to stand up and not fall. And so you just ask the question, what's my foundation? What's my foundation? So that's where he ends up in chapter five, verse 12. But we're going to go back to 3.13 where he starts this big crescendo. So we're going to start reading in 3, chapter 13. You guys can, uh, is everybody there? Are we there? Okay. Chapter 3, verse 13. And here's what he says. He starts out like this. With a question, he says, who is wise and understanding among you? We're going to stop there really quick. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, I have not been listening to the other teachings, but oftentimes people will talk about the book of James and they'll talk about how it's a book of wisdom. Has anybody said that so far in this series that you've heard that? James is a book about wisdom. And so right, you know, James' book about wisdom is what a lot of people say. And right in the middle of this book, he says, who is wise among you? 
And so imagine this. Back in the day, what happened was James would write this letter down and he would, he would send it. Somebody would carry it and take it to the next church. And they would take it to the next church. It's like a gathering of people at somebody's house. And they would, they would gather their people together and say, hey, we got a letter. We got a letter. It's from James, the brother of Jesus. And so everybody would come over to somebody's house and then they would have a reader who's going to stand up in front of everybody else and they're going to read it. It's a letter from James. What did he write? What did he write? Let's look. Oh, yeah, he wrote. He's writing a bunch of stuff. And he writes about all kinds of things, chapter one and two, and I forgot what's all in there. But then he gets to the middle of his letter. And he says, who is wise and understanding among you? And just imagine the group when they're sitting there reading the letter, they're like, is he talking about us? Who is wise among you? Like, what if I asked that question tonight? Who, who is wise among you? And I waited for an answer. <laughs> who do you think of when you think about the wise person? If you were to look around tonight and say, who is wise among you? Would the real wise shady please stand up? <laughs> who is wise among you? Do you think somebody would be like, oh, I hope they're not looking at me? Or somebody in the back goes, oh, I am wise? He's talking about me. Who is wise among you? Here's another question. What's your criteria for wise? Let's keep reading and we'll see, see if James says anything more about the wise person. So he goes on. We're in verse 13. I'll, we'll start there again. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? James writes, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor some bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, he says, doesn't come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, even demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you're gonna find disorder in every evil practice. But that wisdom that comes from above, that comes from heaven, it's first of all uh, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. He says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. We're gonna stop there. James says that the wise person can be known by their good life. If I asked you, what is the good life? What, what comes to mind when I say you're living the good life? I'm gonna point out a couple things here really quick because we'll look at what is James' good life. First of all, notice that the wise person isn't somebody who's like collected a bunch of sayings and they're just dispensing it to other people, sort of like a Yoda person, you know? Um, it's not like a Yoda where they just kind of collect wise sayings and they pass them on to other people. James's wise person is actually living their wisdom. And the second thing, and think about this, when we, this is, so this is gonna get a little philosophical. Anybody philosophy majors in here? No? Oh my gosh, okay. I was a philosophy major in college. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, okay, so when, you're, when you do an action, um, this is a little philosophical, but when you do an action, think about when you do an action, there's always three parts to, to what you're gonna do. There's always like your intention and then your action and then there's the outcome, right? Think about that. There's an intention, action, outcome. Okay, you got that. So James actually hits all three of these parts in this little section right here. He says our intentions, like he says peacemakers are gonna sow or invest in peace or they're gonna come from bitter envy and selfish ambition. That's what he says. Those are your intentions. 
And then he, and then he goes to the, the actions. He said, your deeds are going to be done in humility. Another way to say that is, is gentleness. You're going to have these gentle deeds. Is what he's talking about. Or it's going to be evil practices. And then the outcomes. He says, either you're going to reap a harvest of righteousness or there's going to be disorder. Now, we don't always have direct control over the outcomes, right? We may have hopes or a vision for what we think is going to happen, but we have a lot to do with our intentions and our actions, our desires and our deeds, our hearts and our hands, if you will. Let me tell you a little story. Some time ago, I was working for an organization, and it was a great organization. I mean, it was, this is when we were in Colorado, um, and uh, Rachel and I lived there for a couple years. Anyway, so we worked for this place, and it was a really cool place, but there were some things about it that were... Um, uh, I don't know, I use the word dysfunction. It was a little bit dysfunctional. Uh, essentially, Rachel and I, we had these certain positions that when other people didn't do their jobs, all their work always fell on us. And for a while, I thought, you know, this is okay. We have each other's backs. We can do this. But after a while of other people's work falling on me, I was like, I was starting to get a little bit bitter because I was, I was a full-time grad student. Rachel was a full-time grad student. We had a lot of, I was working two jobs, full-time grad student. This was my third thing that I was doing. And so I got a little bit bitter about this when other people's work was kind of falling on me. And pretty soon the, the organization, they hired on a new spiritual director. And this new spiritual director came in with this vision for this plan that he had. And one night he was standing there and he was casting vision for all of us. And when I'm listening to his words, I'm thinking, I really think he's adding to the dysfunction, not helping us get through it. And at that moment, I just felt like the bitterness that was inside of me and the weight just falling on me. I'm like, this is going to keep happening. This is not going to be good. And so I said something to him. I spoke up. Now, let me ask you this. Did I have a good point? Was I right? Of course I was right. Because we're supposed to say, yeah. Was I gentle? I was not gentle on that night, talking with him. Now, I'd like to think that my intentions were mostly good. Like, I wanted to see the place run better. And, and truth be told, they actually eventually let go of the spiritual director. So, I mean, I'm not making this stuff up. Um, I wanted to help the place run better. So my intentions were in the right place. But I was not gentle with what I did. My actions with him weren't gentle. And I'll tell you this, I did not reap a harvest of righteousness on that night with him. The wise person is a peacemaker through and through. That's what James is saying. The wise person is a peacemaker through and through. Your intentions, your actions, and the vision for your outcomes are all drawn up and carried out in gentleness and in peace. This is the foundation that Jesus wants to build in our lives. That's a foundation that's not going to fall. It's a foundation that Jesus is building. Let's keep reading, and we're going to see what else James has to say about this. We're going to pick up in uh, verse, or chapter 4, verse 1. James is going to ask another question. He starts off, he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? I mean, you desire, you, d you desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasure, he says. Listen to this. He says, you adulterous people. 
Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell within us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. We're going to stop there. Again, James is starting off with a question, what's causing these fights and quarrels among you? He says, he says these quarrels, they're starting from the desires in your heart, really. You look within, that's where, that's where these quarrels are starting with. He says, especially when you invest what you have in your own pleasure. Because he says, here, it's in this place that you become friends with the world. Now, what does he mean to be a friend of the world? This is a question I know you guys are all asking. You're smart people. James, what does it mean to be a friend of the world? When Jesus talked about friendship with God, in John chapter 15, he said it's about knowing and doing the will of God. And so when you think about friendship, the way Jesus talked about friendship, it was about alignment, aligning our, our hearts and our hands, our desires and our deeds. It's about aligning these things with God and this vision for a good life. James says that, look, he says if you're aligning with the world, then you're not aligned with God. Even to the point he calls the people adulterers, like they're unfaithful. He's using strong, strong provocative language here. Look, and if any of you have been um, your lives have been affected negatively by adulterous or, or unfaithful behavior. I am sorry, but you know that this hurts. How much damage and insecurity unfaithfulness in relationships can cause. And this is James's warning us, don't be unfaithful with God. But listen to what James says. Here's the important point. Listen to where James finishes out on this point. He says, God is faithful and God wants for us to have a firm foundation and James says, listen to the heart of God. He said, God longs. He jealously longs for the spirit that is caused to dwell in us. Again, he's using more like strong, emotional language to make his point. Like how many of you have ever felt jealous? Anybody in here ever felt jealous? You felt jealous. You know that is a strong emotion. In fact, it can be consuming. Can it not? Jealousy can consume you. Now listen to this. That is how God feels about you. He jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in you. Pneuma is the word for spirit. Another way to translate pneuma is breath or air. God is jealously longing for every breath that you have. I wonder if somebody you need to hear this today you know, the first time I actually ever wrote this down, when I was working through this, the first time I actually ever wrote this down, I, like, I couldn't say it out loud. Sometimes I'll write it down, and I'll try to say it out loud. I couldn't say it out loud without tears. It was just so powerful for me at that point. God jealously longs for every breath that you have, every breath that I have. He's jealously longing for you. The tears were good because at the time I actually had a sinus infection. But I think some of us in the room need to hear this tonight because somehow we've gotten ourselves aligned somewhere else. Maybe it's because we haven't felt that love. We haven't felt loved. We've aligned somewhere else. Maybe it's because we've been believing a lie. Maybe it's because we just didn't know any better. 
Maybe, maybe it's because we've been angry with God for something. Listen to what James says. He says, God gives grace. He's longing for your every breath. He gives grace no matter what your path has been. He opposes the proud, but he shows, he shows favor to the humble. He shows favor to the humble. He shows favor to the humble. I was at a men's retreat about eight years ago when this truth hit me hard. And I don't even know if I would call myself humble on that night, moving from proud to humble. I would just say it was more just being honest with God. God, I've been aligned somewhere else, and I'm ready to come back to you. One of the things that keeps coming back for James in the section that you'll notice is this notion of selfish ambition and bitter envy. He kind of repeats that a few times. And one Christian writer, he's helped me understand why these things might be paired together like this. And this is, this is a great spiritual writer. He says, I am to love God enough to be contented. I am to love others enough not to envy. I am to love God enough to be content. And I am to love others enough not to envy. So this is really what James is sort of hitting at from another way. It's about the great commandment from Jesus to love God and to love others. Like as I fall in love with God, I come to a place of contentment. As I fall in love with God, I come to a place of contentment and I lose some of my selfish ambition. And as I love other people, like I can be happy for them and not harbor some sort of bitterness in my life and envy. It's about finding our place in the world as a follower of Jesus, loving God and loving others. And let me ask you this, if James was gonna be really helpful to us right now, especially for those of us who have aligned ourselves in other places, is he's, he'd be really helpful right now if he's gonna write a couple paragraphs about how to get right with God and how to get right with other people, don't you think? Let's keep reading and see where he goes from here. He starts off in verse seven, he says, submit yourselves then. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Come near to God, he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. God will lift you up onto that firm foundation. This looks like a paragraph about how to get right with God. Listen to this. If you notice something that you maybe don't catch, but... Um, submit, come near, wash, purify, grieve, change, humble. These are some powerful words. In Greek, I hate to be nerdy on it, but in Greek, the first and the last words are passive verbs. So like if you come near, if you wash, if you purify, if you grieve, those things are active. Those things you, are things you, you can do. But submit and humble are passive verbs. That means they're things that happen to you. When we see God for who he is, when we're honest about who God is and who we are with, with him, he will humble us. We'll see our place. It's like when we find ourselves standing in the presence of God, we see his glory, his wisdom, and his power. 
And we realize that we've been carrying this tension, trying to do the right thing, be the right thing, and all of a sudden we're standing in the presence of the real thing, the right thing. Micah, the prophet Micah in the Old Testament, he writes about how the mountains melt like wax before God. It just melts away in front of a flame, he says. This submission, this humility before God is just like a melting before his glory and all the tension goes away. There's nothing we can do. So let's just be honest with who we are, who he is, and receive from our creator. It starts with just experiencing him for who he is. We're gonna read one more section. I think it's one more. Yeah, one more section. He finishes, well, I'll read this last section, 11 and 12. He says, brothers and sisters. That's not of my brothers and sisters. That's just the brothers and sisters, if you notice. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? We'll stop there. I was just talking with Ryan. The back of the room, he said one of the things he admires about Abraham Lincoln is he never, he was never critical of other people. He didn't judge other people. James has given us, just like we said, James, just like we expected, James has given us a little, a few words about how to get right with other people. It's interesting that James talks about how we speak with others. Like we have access, you guys have so much access to like speak and put your words out, especially social media. You have a lot of access to speak in a lot of different ways and to a lot of different people and it goes out and it stays out for a long time. And James is talking about judging other people. You know, judging in the Bible has to do a lot with like deciding, making a decision. Like if you see a person, you're driving down the road, you see somebody in the ditch and you look at them and you say, oh, that person must be a bad driver. That's judgment because you made a decision about that person based on their circumstances. Now there could be a million things that happened in that person's life before they went in the ditch right then, right? James says, be careful, don't judge other people. Leave the decisions up to God. Especially when it comes to speaking about others. So we're not going to read all the way up to the crescendo in 512. There's a couple more sections there you can go on and read. He goes on to talk about how people use their time, how people use their finances. And he reminds people that God is a God of compassion and mercy in the next couple sections. And then he says, above all, my brothers and sisters, above all, don't swear by anything. Otherwise... You're going to fall. How many of you have ever seen uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Okay. I had a Clark Griswold moment last Christmas. So um, at our house, we have these two lofts that are in a garage. Like you walk into our garage, they're up there, eight feet high. You have to put a ladder up to them. And then all our Christmas decorations are up there. And so I set a ladder up there. And I'm carrying, you know, totes, like big, heavy totes. I'm carrying these big, heavy totes up the ladder. Put that one up. Go back down, get the next one. Up the ladder. Put it up there. Get the next one. Third one. Up the ladder. Put it up there. It's up there. Next thing I know, whew. I am on my back, on the ground. My eyes, I'm just staring at the ceiling like, what happened? Like my leg, my left leg was underneath the ladder. I was laying on top of the ladder. My right leg was on top of the ladder. I have no idea how that happened. 
It was very painful. It took a little while to hurt. It took me a while, like my body, to catch up. I was like, what happened? It was like I had this foundation. I went up and down the ladder, up and down, up and down, and it worked until it didn't. And that's the thing about a foundation, is that it might work for a while until it doesn't. You see, God wants us to have a firm foundation in our lives. Jesus said at the end of his sermon, his great sermon, Sermon on the Mount, he talks about building a firm foundation on his words. Those who build on my words are like the one who builds on a rock. When the, when the winds and the waves come, it will knock it down. God wants for us to have a firm foundation and not to fall. And what does that look like in our lives? That could look like a lot of different things. It looks like some of us might need to work on our inner life, our desires, our deeds. Some of us might need to look at the way we speak about people. Some of us might need to look about the way we relate to God and the honesty before him. Some of us might need to look at how we invest our time and our treasures. I'm not sure what it is for you tonight. But like I said, I pray that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. And then in some way... You are working with him in order to build up, in order to build up that firm foundation in Christ. Can I pray for you? Let me pray. Father God, you have just gifted me with an opportunity to come and share from your word with a fantastic group of people. Lord, I pray that you would just be continuing to work in their lives to build up that firm foundation. Father God, you are amazing. Sometimes in scripture you're called a consuming fire. And sometimes, Lord, we need to just be melted. We need the tension in our lives to be melted away. And we need to just be like putty before you. God, so that you can work with us and shape us and mold us into the, the kind of people that you would desire for us to be. Father, I thank you for the work you're doing in our lives and in the lives of those who are here. I pray that you would continue to watch over us, protect us, keep us safe, and keep our eyes on you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.